I uh, decided this week to turn to the wisdom of the internet. And I started to look up on the all-wise internet, what is a good definition for love? And I found some cool stuff. Uh, I, found, I found a website that said it asked random people the question, what is love? And here's what they had to say. Love is never rushing into a relationship. Love is not being jealous. Love is giving yourself a chance. Love is avoiding misunderstandings. <laughs> Here's a good one. Love is a cruel and selective emotion that is in place to ensure species survival. <laughs> Here's my personal favorite. Love is when you're never going to give them up, never going to let them down. <laughs> Clearly, there are millions of different things that you could say. If, you, if we went around the room right now and I said define love, you probably would all say different things. But the truth is, there is one true, one real answer to the question, what is love? And the answer is clearly defined by God in His Word. I want you to open your Bibles to 1 John. 1 John chapter 4 will be in verses 7 through 12 tonight. It's important for Christians to understand what love is. It's important for people who follow Christ to understand what does God say love really is. We need to be careful not to get a mixed definition, a mixed understanding. We don't need to understand love the way the world understands it. We need to understand it the way that God explains it. Misunderstanding love, misunderstanding God's love in particular, is dangerous. Misunderstanding God's love, it can lead to a low priority of loving others. And the Bible says that if you do not love others, that is an indication that you do not know God. So we need to understand what does God's word say love is. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. We're told that God is love. God's nature is love. We're, we're pointed to the greatest expression of God's love 
and we're told to love others too. Point number one, you need to know that God's nature is love. God's nature is love. There are two statements in these verses that help us to understand that this that his, his nature is love. It says that love is from God, and it says God is love. So true love, real love, it comes from God. He defines what love is, and it's because he is love. Anything outside of what God says is love is not real and true love. God's love is comforting. It gives hope to those who need hope. God's love is encouraging. It encourages those who are downcast. Ultimately, God's love is responsible for the salvation of his children. But God's love is also one of his most misunderstood attributes. So often God's love can be seen as this mushy, lovey, sentimental kind of love. It's not exactly correct. God does love his children. God feels deeply about his children. He has his deep feelings towards his children, but it's, it's more than just a feeling. It's more than just mushy, gushy, God loves you. The word that the Bible uses, the New Testament, to describe God's love is the word agape. You've heard that before. His agape love. It's the strongest New Testament word for love. Agape. This is the kind of love that God has and the kind of love that God shows. It's perfect love. It's divine love. This is the highest level of love. It's the love that describes God's commitment to his people. His agape love. Agape love is shown by God <clears throat> making a way for sinners to be saved. So God is love in this way. God's nature is love. His love is connected. It's interconnected to all of his other attributes. We're going to find that that's kind of how God's attributes work. Is they're all interconnected with each other. So <clears throat> God's love is his holy love. It's his unchanging or immutable love. It's his powerful love. It's his sovereign love. It's his eternal love. Psalm 86.15 says that God is abounding in steadfast love. Abounding. So much. Abounding in steadfast love. Isaiah 54.10 says, For the mountains may depart, and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. And my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on me. Now God's love it actually exists between the persons of the Trinity. John 17 says, God the Father has loved the Son from before the foundation of the world. So we have love that God the Father feels towards God the Son. Matthew 3 says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. You see the love that they share. John 3.35, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. So God, His nature is love. It's seen, it's reflected in the Trinity even. God, 
is love. And his love is characterized in a few different ways in Scripture. First of all, God's love is initiating. He initiates his relationship with his people. God does not love people because he looked down on us and thought that we were so great that he then needs to respond with love towards us. God loves his children simply because he chose to love them. Humans, we're we're not worthy of God's love because of our sin. So we have to understand that it was not that God looked and said, these people are great, so I'm going to love them. Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 8, it says this, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now he was talking to Israel there. What he's saying is, it's not because you were a great people. It's not because you were so awesome and you were mighty in number and you had a big, strong army. That's not why. He says, I, I love you because I love you. Because it starts with me. Because I am love. I love you. You and I have nothing to boast about when it comes to God's love. He doesn't love you for something that he saw inside of you. He loves you because he is love. His love is initiating. He loves you because he chose to love you according to his will, not on account of your actions. So we think about God's love for us. All it should do is just leave us in awe. Leave us in thanksgiving for him. That he chose to love his children. Ephesians 1, 4, and 5 says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So it was all motivated by his love. Because he is love. His nature is love. God's love is merciful and compassionate. The Hebrew word for mercies, it actually is a word that speaks of the intestines. And the word represents the deep affections of God towards his people. Mercy is compassion and and forgiveness shown towards someone in distress, especially when it is within one's power to punish them. You see God's mercy there? It is completely within God's power, within his authority. It's completely within reason For God to punish sinners, to punish you and me because of our sin, but because he is merciful, because he is compassionate, it moved him to rescue. Again, it wasn't that he looked at us and said, I've got to, they're they're great, I've got to do something about it. It was just his mercy and his compassion overflowing from his love, why he rescues sinners. Salvation flows from God's mercy towards Sinners. 2 Corinthians 1.3 says God is the father of mercies. Ephesians 2.4 says God is rich in mercy. 
He has a lot of mercy. He is filled with so much mercy that it cannot be measured. Because he's rich in mercy. In 1 Peter 1.3 says, God's great mercy caused us to be born again. There's, there's no other reason. It is God's mercy that caused believers to be born again. His mercy and his compassion towards his children. Now the Greek word for compassion is splankna. It's a fun word. And it kind of sounds like it would be what it means, which is bowels, liver, lungs, heart. There's a word for that, but it sounds like what it is, the splankna. So it represents lungs, heart, inner parts, and, and, and it represents and describes God's deep love and his emotions. You see how mercy and compassion are very similar in that way. Nehemiah 9 says, You and your great compassion did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud did not leave them by day to guide them on their way, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way in which they were to go. God's compassion for his people, it motivates him to never leave or to never forsake. God's love is merciful, God's love is compassionate, and God's love is kind. Thank God for the kindness that he shows towards us. Romans 2.4, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. He is kind even to those who have not trusted in Jesus. That's what his kindness is for. He is kind so that you may see his kindness and respond with faith. Respond with repentance, a trust in him. Luke chapter 6 says that God is even kind to the ungrateful and kind to the evil. I mean, think back to your life, before you trusted in Jesus. Think of all the ways that God continued to show you his kindness, even though you were living in complete rebellion against him. The things that he was allowing you to do. I mean, he, he gifted you with new days, with breath in your lungs, every day that you were living in rebellion against him. He still said, I'll give you breath today. I'll give you life today. You can keep your abilities to walk around today. I'll keep providing for you. I'll keep putting food in front of you. I'll give you your family and your friends. And there's joys in life that you can partake in even though you don't trust in him. Because his kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Not only should God's kindness lead you to Repentance, as in, in a salvific way, to, to save you. But now, as a believer, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, his kindness should continue to have that effect on you. You should, you should continue to be living in repentance because of the kindness that he shows to you, among other things. But his kindness that he pours out and he lavishes on you can cause you to say, I'm going to keep repenting of my sin. I'm going to be keeping in repentance like his word says to do. Keep living in repentance because of his kindness. He is kind to his children. Think of all of the blessings that he lavishes on you. 
just because he wants to. Because he loves you. He shows his kindness to us in so many ways that we take for granted all the time. I think we should just stop occasionally and think and praise God for the ways that he's shown us his kindness. God continues to be kind to you by providing for your needs. He's so kind. There's more to God's love than these. These are all good things and God's love is also expressed in his jealousy. God's a jealous God. And his love motivates him to be a jealous God. And of course, his jealousy is much different than our jealousy. We get jealous over ridiculous things. Our jealousy leads us to sin, to covet, to hate, to do unkind things is what our jealousy leads us to do. But God's jealousy is holy. God's jealousy is righteous. God demands to be loved and worshipped by those that he loves. He demands our worship. And when his children are not giving him the worship that he is due, he is jealous. And he doesn't tolerate competition. Nahum 1 verse 2 says, The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. God loves you. And he demands your complete allegiance to him. And when he doesn't have it, he's jealous over your allegiance. Now again, he's not jealous in the way that people get jealous over someone's new car or new shoes or something nice that we get jealous of. And he's not jealous because someone else has something that he wants or needs. God's jealous for his glory because all glory, all worship, all praise belongs to him. It's due to him. He alone is worthy of all worship and all praise. And when his children are offering worship and attention and allegiance to things that aren't him, he's jealous. And it's not that God needs your worship. You can misunderstand and think that God is like is, is needy. God is not needy. He's not jealous over your worship because he's in heaven on his throne saying, I need this, I need this. He's jealous over it because it belongs to him. It's his. It belongs to him. He's jealous for you because he loves you. You understand? He, God's highest goals, two things, his highest goals, his own glory and the good of his people. His own glory and the good of his people. And he tells you to have no other gods before him. It gives him the glory. But it's also because it's good for you. It is in your best interest to obey this commandment. It's in your best interest to give your allegiance to God. So when God says that he, when he's jealous over you and, and your love, he's, he just says, it's the best thing for you. I want the best thing for you as my child. So give me your attention. Give me your worship. Because it's the best thing for his children to do. So God is jealous, but his love is it's also correcting or chastening. 
God disciplines his children because he loves them. He disciplines his children for their good. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. He disciplines those that he loves. Did any of your parents discipline you when you were younger? I don't know, maybe, maybe you didn't get spanked. I did. But did any of your parents ever discipline you and say, I'm doing this because I love you? You ever been on the receiving end of those words? I have. When you're a child, that doesn't make any sense, does it? It doesn't make any sense at all. What do you mean? You're hurting me. How, how is this happening because you love me? I don't get it. I remember looking at my dad and being like, what does that mean? I don't understand. How does this make any sense? Sometimes it feels the same way when God disciplines. Sometimes when God is disciplining you, whenever you're in the middle of some kind of trial or something, you may say, what? How, how could you love me if you're letting this, if you're, if you're allowing this to happen? In those moments, we just need to trust God, that his word is true, that he disciplines those that he loves. You need to trust that it's done because he loves you. Just like your parents discipline you to teach you a lesson, God does the same. His discipline teaches lessons. It's to help you grow, to help you not make the same mistake again, to help you mature. And God's discipline could look like several different things in your life. Going through hardships, trouble at work, trouble at home, difficult relationships, hardships in school. Any number of difficulties could be God's discipline on your life. You just need to trust that his discipline is done because of his love for you. So if you're in the middle of something difficult, if you're in the middle of a trial, it would be wise to stop and pray and ask, God, is this your discipline? To evaluate your life, to say, am I doing something that's not honoring to you, God? Is there something in me that I need to repent of that I haven't repented of yet? What's going on? And if it is, I believe God will answer that prayer. And you repent and you are mature. You've grown. You've become more like Christ because of the discipline that God put on your life. He disciplines his children because he loves his children. So God's nature is love. These are all ways in his, his word that it characterizes his love. These characteristics explain what it means that God is love. And briefly mentioned, of course, Jesus Christ being the greatest demonstration of God's love, and Jesus Christ is, is the center of the message of these verses in 1 John. Here's point number two. Always remember God's greatest demonstration of love. The greatest demonstration, the greatest manifestation of God's love for you is that he sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. Don't forget about this. Don't take this for granted. Don't go about your days and not be reminding yourself of what God has done for you because he loves you. 
God could have left us all to die in our sin. He could, he could have chosen to do this. And he would have remained good. He would have remained just. He would have remained right. But he sent his son out of his love. He sent the Christ, he sent the Messiah into the world so that we might live through him. So you see that God's love is also sacrificial. God's love is sacrificial. His love for us came at a great personal cost. It cost him something. It cost him his only begotten son. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is the greatest sacrifice that has ever been made. God's love is so great that he gave his only son. And when he gave him over, he knew exactly what he was giving him to. He knew what was going to happen. He knew exactly what was going to happen because, because he designed it in his sovereignty. He knew what was going to happen to his only begotten son, and he still sent him. Because his love is sacrificial. That's how great his love is for you. Romans 5.8 says, all right, I'm going to read this verse. It's very familiar, all right? Listen, listen to how amazing this is. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8. God sent his son while his creation was living in rebellion against him. While we were sinners, he sent his son. Jesus willingly went to the cross to die, to bear the wrath of God. To provide a way for you and for me to have eternal life. And just think about the scene of the crucifixion. Think about what was happening to Jesus. Being mocked, being beaten, being spit on. He died for you while you were still sinners. He went to the cross to make a way for the people who were beating him to become righteous. How great his love is. His love is sacrificial. It says, In this is love. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Real love is defined by God's love for us, not by our love for him. Because, listen, he says, in this is love. This is, this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Real love is seen in what God did for you and me. He sent Jesus as our a propitiation. Propitiation means appeasement. It means satisfaction. The sacrifice of Jesus, it satisfied the wrath of God. It was burning against sin. God's holiness, God's justice demanded that sin be punished. And Jesus stepped in. God sent Jesus to bear his wrath against sin and satisfy the demands 
when was the last time you, you thought about this in a personal way? When was the last time you thought about Jesus being the propitiation for your sin and it was personal? Not just the facts, not just reading a book, not just, just stating it to someone else, not in a discipleship context, nothing like that. When's the last time you thought about this and it was personal to you? That you put your name in there and said, Jesus, you did this for me. You took my sin. You were the propitiation for Jacob's sin. should make it a habit to reflect on this. We should always remember this. Let us never get to the point where this is just the way things are. We, we, we restate it. We throw it out there. We talk about it all the time. And we, we lose the, the weight. We lose the, the gravity behind the statement that Jesus is our propitiation against sin. We should ponder this often, how Jesus, how God in the flesh, how a perfect man Truly God and truly man, deserving of no punishment, came and he took the punishment that you deserve. The sin that you've committed today, the sin that you have committed to this day, today, you deserve punishment for that. But when Jesus was hanging on the cross, and he took the punishment for sin, that sin... The sin that you did today, he took the punishment for that. It's personal. He took my sin. He took the punishment that I deserve. You need to always remember, always remember the greatest demonstration of God's love. Keep this in your mind as you go about your days. Don't become numb to what Jesus has done. Don't take it for granted. Always remember it. And when you understand what it means that God is love, and when you see the ways that he's demonstrated his love to you, whenever you ponder and reflect on what Christ has done for you, these verses are clear about this, that it should then lead you into a life of loving others. This should be the motivation that pushes you into a life full of loving others. Number three, love others because of God's love for you. Verses 11 and 12, it says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. God's instructions are pretty simple. Love others because he loves you. God's love is what we call a communicable attribute meaning that we can embody this to a certain extent. God is love, and we should be loving others. This is something that should define your life as a Christian. You should be loving other people. You should be embodying the love for others as a Christian. You can't be all-powerful. You cannot be unchanging. You cannot be self-sufficient, but you can be loving. And God expects and demands, commands his children to love others because of his great love for them. So the question you need to ask yourself is, are you loving others the way that God commands? Are you showing love to others the way that God shows his love to you? John 15, 12. This is my commandment, 
that you love one another as I have loved you. Do you love the people around you as God loves you? Are you quick to go out of your way to show love to someone else? Or are you the kind of person that will only show love to others if they're kind to you first? That's a lesson that I learned when I was a kid. I remember talking to my mom about that. Why should I be kind to them? They're not kind to me. Right? It's in us to only want to show love and kindness to those that are kind to us. But Jesus says to love others regardless of how they treat you. Because he says, love others the way that I have loved you. So people will say, do I really have to love others when they're not showing their love to me? Do I really have to do this if they're not doing it to me? Isn't that exactly what God did for you? Isn't that what we just talked about? That his love is initiating while we were still sinners, Christ died for you? Why is it that sometimes we can think that we deserve, that we reserve the right to love others based on how they treat us? It should be a thought that we just, it just needs to go away. That we can call the shots on, I'll, I'll, I'll show love, I'll show kindness when they do this to me. can't think that when God reached down to you. God showed his love to you when you were in rebellion against him. God is kind. Are you treating others with kindness? Are you treating others with kindness? Think about it. Answer it honestly. Is there anyone, is there anyone in your life right now that you're not being kind to? For any reason at all. They're not nice to me, so I'm not nice to them. They're annoying, so I'm not nice to them. <laughs> it could be anything. Is there anyone that you're not showing kindness to? I mean, are you, are you friendly with people? Do you smile at people? Do you love people that way? Are you generous? Are you considerate of others? You should love others that way. God is merciful. God is compassionate. Are you? Are you merciful towards others? Are you compassionate towards others because Christians should be compassionate people. We, we, above all people, should be people who show compassion for others. When you see a need, you should be moved to meet the need. To think, is there anything I can do to meet this need? Is there something I can do? Your heart should go out for those in need. It's like, I, I've got to think of, can I do anything about this? But compassion can oftentimes be overlooked. I learned a lesson about compassion from my brother, Malin. He's 12 now. <laughs> At the time, I think he was like 10. Um, he was with my mom in the car, and they were driving down the road. And um, in, in Savannah, Georgia, there's kind of a, a rough uh, issue with homeless population. There's this homeless man laying down in the median of one of our major roads. He was laying there not moving, just, just, just there, and my brother Malin sees this man, and he is so concerned for this man that he's never met, he can't even see the man's face, all he sees is someone lying on the ground, not moving, outside in the heat, and he starts telling my mom, mom, pull over, mom, 
you need to, that guy is in trouble. That guy needs help. He's just laying there. And my mom says, I'm not going to pull over, but I'll call 911, <laughs> right? I, I wouldn't have done that. My, my brother is 12. I mean, he was 10 then, I said. But, like, I wouldn't have thought that. I would have seen the dude passed out on the road and just kept driving. Like, oh, another homeless person. That's not compassionate. That's not compassionate at all. Because this person had a need. And, and if we are loving others the way that Christ loves us, then our compassion for others should move us to action, right? We should be compassionate. We should be merciful. Rather than dropping the hammer on someone who hurts you. Rather than getting so angry with someone who does something wrong towards you. Rather than, than being harsh to someone when they disappoint you. Show them mercy. Show them mercy. Even if it's completely in your right to be upset about something. To be frustrated about something. Are you quick to come down on that person? To tell them they're wrong? To tell them that they messed up? Or do you show mercy? Are you quick to forgive? Are you quick to forgive in your mercy? Do you hold grudges? When someone wrongs you, does it take you a long time to get over it? Even if it's something that happened unintentionally. Even if the person didn't mean to do something. Are you the type of person that just broods over it for days? I can't believe they did this to me. I can't believe that. Are you quick to forgive? God loves sacrificially. Do you love sacrificially? Sacrificial love is when you love others by putting their needs before your own. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Are you selfish? Are you a self-seeking person? Because if you are, then you're most likely not loving sacrificially. Maybe the reason why you're not kind is because you can't see past yourself. Maybe you're so concerned with yourself that you don't have capability, capacity to be concerned for others. Do you get mad when you don't get your own way? Are you always after what's best for you? Because if that is the case, then most likely you are not loving sacrificially. to tell a story that happened the other night. A Amber is very sacrificially loving. She is. Um, randomly, the other night, like 2 o'clock in the morning, I woke up with the worst migraine. Like, terrible migraine. I can't even, even exp I was like doubled over in pain so bad. Like, it woke me up from my sleep. And I had this terrible migraine. And it woke her up, I guess. And she's like, well, what's wrong? And I'm like, I don't know. This, this terrible migraine. She got out of bed and went and got me, like, frozen broccoli <laughs> and said, put this on your head. This will help. I said, okay. So I'm putting it on my head, and just, she's just sitting there awake with me, right? 
two o'clock in the morning. A few minutes go by, and she's like, is it helping? Is there anything else I can do? Can, do you need anything? Do you need some water? Do you need some ibuprofen? Do you need medicine? What can I, what can I do to help? It's two o'clock in the morning, and she's doing this for me. She's, she said, I, I, I can't go to sleep when I know that you're in this much pain. I, it's not going to happen, so like, I'll, I'll just sit with you or wait, you know? She's sacrificing sleep, 2 a.m., <laughs> sacrificing rest when, when I know she's so exhausted from chasing around our one-year-old all day long who's just now learning to walk. She loved me sacrificially in that moment. She could have said, sorry, I'm going back to sleep. <laughs> but she didn't do that. So are you selfish or are you selfless? Do you get mad when you don't get your own way? The point is this. If you profess the name of Christ, you should be known for how you love others. It should be known. If you profess the name of Christ, you should be known for your love, for your kindness, for your compassion, for your generosity. This is how we should be known. This is how the world well, no. These verses, first glance, it's interesting that it throws this phrase in there. No one has seen God. No one has ever seen God. When you, if you read it quickly, you're like, that doesn't fit there. That's weird. Well, it says no one has ever seen God, but as his people love one another, he abides in them. And his love is made perfect, made complete in them. So the God who is unseen, the God who is invisible, reveals himself through his people when they love. Looking back to verses 7 and 8, it says, Whoever has been born of God, I'm sorry, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. If you do love. If you love others, you have been born of God. You do know God. It's, it's the proof if you're loving others. And here's the other side. Anyone who does not love does not know God. So if you claim to be a Christian and you're not loving others well, if you're not loving others at all, you're in a dangerous place. God's word is clear that his children should be known for how they love others. Christians will be marked by their love for others. So as a Christian, you need to understand that God's nature is love. You should always remember how God demonstrates his love, how he demonstrated his love in the greatest way, and these truths of God, that he is love, that he shows love. It should move you to love others. God, thank you for showing us your love. Thank you for being love. Thank you for teaching us what real, what true love is. God, thank you for showing us love and that you sent your son, Jesus. Thank you for, for coming and willingly going to the cross and taking the punishment for sin so that we could have a relationship with the Father. Please, Lord, help us to love others better. Help us to repent of anything in our lives that is unloving. 
and let us love others the way that you command us to love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.